Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we have a good show for you today. We have a really good show for you today with Gabrielle Blair, who's been getting a lot of attention for her book, Ejaculate Responsibly. But before that, I thought we would just have, I just thought for a change, <laughs> just the thing off the top of my head that we would talk before <laughs> she comes on. Why not? Let's just like, let's check in with each other. Um, I had a whole like list of things running in my head to talk about this week. And I'll be honest, they're all gone. They've just disappeared, poof, from my brain. I have nothing. What's happening with you? You never have nothing. There's always something. Oh, you sent me those. We have to put in the show notes those sweatpants that you discussed with me. The red yes. sweatpants that have um like Sherpa on the inside. Yes, it's Sherpa. It's not Shearling. It's Sherpa. It's <laughs> I don't even know what that was. I watched a um I watched a comedy show, a comedy hour, uh, Nick Kroll. Have you watched do you like Nick Kroll? I like Nick Kroll a lot. Sometimes he's a little like uh, he had a show which I was sort of uneven on. I feel uneven on him too, and I really thought this show was gonna be a lot about um poop jokes. And turns out I was right. There's so many mm -hmm. poop jokes, which is not my thing usually. But I was really kind of charmed by him in a couple of things. One, talking honestly about being rejected his whole life by women in really painful ways and like learning to process that and what that meant for him. But then ultimately finding a partner who loved him for who he is. And he was like, you know, it's a it's a show that's it's a it's a comedy hour that's a lot about masculinity and in interesting ways and kind of kind of tender ways because he's not a masculine man very much at all. He wouldn't consider mm -hmm. himself that and also has a lot of gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> and it was kind of sweet. Like I, I laughed a lot and I also found it kind of sweet. So I was surprised by that. So there we go. That was not an expected thing, but here we go. Here we go. I'm trying to think of what I've watched recently. I, I, oh, you know what I watched? I watched Bros. Oh, yes. I watched that movie that um, is Billy Eichner's movie. Everybody was making a big fuss about it being the first, like, big Hollywood gay rom-com. Yes. And then it didn't do well at the box office. Yes. But it wasn't very good. Oh. It was fine. It was funny. It had lots of funny little bits in it. But it was trying to say, I think, you know, I think Billy Eichner was really trying to make big statements. Yeah, 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 About, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the whole of the gay experience. And it was just, 
it was kind of, that's a lot to do and still expect people to laugh. Yeah. It's hard to put like a thesis. It's hard to put like your, your like senior thesis into a movie. People do it all the time. Yeah. But lately it's interesting. There are movies I want to see that are in the theaters right now. Yes. I've been thinking the same thing. I have to go to theaters. Oh my God. There's so many um, upcoming movies I want to see like Bardo. 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 There's a bunch of, there's a, <laughs> there's a bunch of like Oscar bait movies that I'm like, oh, that looks good. Oh, what's the other one my mom was just talking about that's about a conductor, a woman conductor? Oh, it's Tar. Tar. Curious about that. Curious about that, too. I mean, the, the great Kate Blanchett. Yes, the great Kate Blanchett. I love her. Although they did make her look very ugly in the New York Times magazine, but continue. Did they really? Oh, it was the worst photo shoot. Like, I guess if you're as beautiful as Kate Blanchett, you're like, I don't care. That look, whatever. Just do whatever you want to me. But like... It was just like, it was like they intentionally were like, you know what, for this shoot, just ugly. Ugly is the theme. <laughs> like just as ugly, is it possible to make you ugly? Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. This is our challenge. Yes. Yes. How funny. How funny. The wardrobe is supposed to be very good in that movie as well. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Um I did. Uh, I don't remember. I really had a lot in my mind and I don't, I can't. <laughs> I know. Well, we also, we also had a very long conversation before we started recording about things that are not suitable for, for recording, but are important. Oh, you mean you and I had a private conversation? We yes. had a private conversation. Yes, we used we up did. all our juice. We totally did. I usually am like, let's, yeah, but we were talking about things that in our friendship, not, um, not, not we're th talking about things in our lives that are not podcast appropriate. Oh, sorry, sorry to let people know. There's a few things that are not podcast <laughs> <I> appropriate. <laughs> it's true. We there are not many topics we don't touch. No, there's not. Um, well, I will keep. I will give an update about my hair. Uh, just, just I like to keep updating people about my hair, just because um, I feel like people are, are are people are suffering with their hair. I have just decided I've just come to like this place of peace. So first off, I bought Rogaine. I was like, I went on like a, a like a desperate, like, oh my God, what am I going to do? My hair. Uh. Like I went on like some like very like when I've talked about like holding on to the plane moment of like, it was mm -hmm, like holding mm -hmm. on to my hair. Mm -hmm. And I looked up everything like, what can you do for hair? And like, oh, you can get Rogaine. And then I was like, fuck it. I have really thin, fine hair now. That's the hair I have now. What do I do for this hair? And now I've just been like blowing it out smooth, just having like a smooth, fine haircut. It's fine. It's thin. It's fine. It also, it looks fine. You I mean, it looks me good. over Zoom. <laughs> I see you over Zoom, but I can see your hair. I mean, I could, but, but I, I know because I've had, I've really dealt with this. I had hair that got so fine. You could see my scalp. It was awful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of that, but like I'm figuring out how to work around it. Like I'm what I'm saying is, and I think this is part of getting older at every stage is just adjusting and not fighting. It's just mm -hmm. like, okay, the adjustment here is this is the hair I have because I was like starting to put the Rogaine on. I was like, this smells like shit. And then I looked up the side effects and it was like, this is a serious, this is a serious medication. You may you know, it was like listed all the things that may happen to you if you start using Rogaine. It turns out like JLo uses Rogaine, or at least she does in the, these ads. But like, mm -hmm. it's actually pretty serious to start just like plopping Rogaine on your head, um, yeah. Minoxidil. So I was like, no, 
I'm not. So now if anybody wants Rogaine, just I'll send it <laughs> to you. Yeah. You know, there are also, my hairdresser was telling me that people are having a great deal. I know you're talking about acceptance, but I'm still fighting. Yes. Go ahead. In this one respect, um, plasma injections. She said she has several clients who've done plasma injections and that it made a difference. Yes. Okay. And that is like a $3,000 solution. It's because yeah, I, I saw yeah. that in my, in my deep, in my deep frantic, am I balding research? Um, I did that. I looked that up. And then the other thing you can get is one of those infrared yes. laser helmets. You can get the helmet and just put it on your head. And I think that was the moment I was like, okay, this is <laughs> my vanity here is going like, I just have to, I have to get right with this because if I'm going to fucking be in my house, putting this like weird cream, that's going to turn me into a troll emotionally. <laughs> and then also wearing a helmet, but also having my blood taken out and using my savings to inject my own blood into my scalp. Like at what point? <laughs> like, I know. It's just, it's just thin hair. It's, you know, you can live. See my hair, but I, in addition to having thin hair, I also have bad hair. You have good hair. We have had this discussion a million times that you think you have bad hair. I think your hair is cute. And I've sent you pictures of people with your same hair and been like, look, cute, cute. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of doing all the things I do to my hair. I was just thinking that this morning. Wash the hair, blow dry it, you know smooth it out with the curling iron, put this product in it, put that product in it. But I do not want curly hair, which I insist looks better on other people than me. So I'm going to keep doing all this shit. I know. But like, think of all the hours of your life you could have back. And dollars. And do exactly. That's the other thing. That's the other thing when I was looking at the helmets. <laughs> I, <was looking> at <laughs> I know they're very expensive and they have like, they, I've, I've looked at them on Amazon, of course, and they start out like kind of reasonable and then they get really expensive. And it's like, well, does the really expensive one work better in this pretend world we're living in where putting a lit helmet on your head makes your hair grow? Exactly. I'm just going to get the lit helmet and the lit face mask and just like walk around <laughs> like a fucking like vain middle-aged ghoul. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, we talk a lot about ejaculation in this episode. Um, Gabrielle Blair is amazing, really energetic, really passionate about this cause. It's really an important topic for right now as we're looking at abortion rights going away, etc., etc. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Gabrielle Blair. Gabrielle is the founder of Alt Summit, the biannual conference for lifestyle bloggers and creative entrepreneurs currently in its 12th year. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Um, she is also the founder of designmom.com. Starting in 2006, it has been named a website of the year by Time Magazine, praised as a top parenting blog by the Wall Street Journal, Parents and Better Homes and Gardens, and won the Iris Award for blog of the year. Gabrielle's first book, Design Mom, How to Live with Kids, was a New York Times bestseller. It was published in 2015 by Artisan. She is also the author of the awesome new book, Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion. That's what we're going to be talking about today, mostly. Welcome, Gabrielle. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What a treat. 
So, so as a mother, a Mormon mother of six, I would imagine you're able to reach and change more minds than you might otherwise, if you were just a sort of, you know, straightforward, predictably, you know, non-religious person. Oh, I think you're exactly right. And in fact, the thread I referenced, um, I started it with saying I'm a Mormon mother of six, and that was super intentional. I would say my Mormon identity isn't like my number one identity. I don't know if it's in my top 10. I mean, I have lots of identities. I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a designer. I'm a, a writer. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. All, all these things. And Mormon's in there too. But I, again, I, I don't necessarily lead with it. But right. I, I did lead with it for this conversation for the reason exactly what you're describing. Like uh, I, I knew that people who wouldn't agree with me politically, because I'm pro-choice, I'm a Democrat, I, I vote progressively, I knew they would be willing to read this or more willing to read what I had to say if they thought I was on their quote unquote team. Mm-hmm. And, right. and if I say the word Mormon and I say I have six kids, I know people are going to make assumptions. Uh, of course, obviously we're making assumptions all the time about everyone, but I know they're going to make certain assumptions and I can use that in my favor for a topic like this. And I have. Um, in the book, I, I lead with, I'm a religious mother of six. I actually took the Mormon out, not because I'm mm-hmm. trying to hide it. It's very easy to find out I'm a Mormon. My pinned tweet is, you know, says I'm a Mormon. But because there were some people that just like, that was like religious they could handle, but like Mormon was just like a bridge too far. I'm like, I got it. You know, like Mormons are weird. I get it. So, so I did take that part out in the book, but I do try and use my religion as a tool. As long as I'm going to be here being a weird Mormon, I might as well, you know, use it to my advantage. To be clear, I wasn't, I, I, I think it's cool. I just, gotta, I, wanna, <laughs> I, I think this juxtaposition is really cool. So I just wanted to be clear about that. But one thing you said was, you know, that the title that ejaculate really helped you communicate what, what you were trying to do, helped you do what you were trying to do. What, yeah. what were you trying to do with this book? I'm trying to point out that there's a huge part of the abortion conversation that has been missing. And it's the men are involved. Like we have debates, endless debates for decades about abortion and rarely mention men at all. Like they don't even come into the conversation. And of course, that is just bizarre because there is no pregnancy unless a man ejaculates. Like that's, that's just part of the deal, right? And in fact, the more I thought about it and the more I was sort of irritated that this wasn't even part of the conversation, the more I was like, not only are they a part of it, they're causing the whole thing. Like as I started examining fertility, I started examining the fact that ovulation is totally involuntary while ejaculation is always voluntary. You know, like as I started examining this stuff, it really became clear to me, we could have an entire conversation. We could we could reduce or eliminate abortion. If that's your goal, I know it's not everyone's goal. If that was your goal, you could reduce or eliminate abortion without even talking about women at all. Like you could mm. achieve it really quickly, just just focusing on men. And we completely ignore men as far as these discussions and, and as far as this topic goes. So my goal with the ejaculate is, well, I mean, ejaculate responsibly. Like it's, I have 28 arguments in the book and they all come back to this argument. Like, that's all that you we're asking you to do is ejaculate responsibly. And it is not a big ask. And it's clear that it's about men. If I say the word ejaculate, people will read that as a male related word. And I don't know, it just accomplishes, it, it communicates so much with just two words. And so I, I really love it. It, it really does. And I have to say, one of the feelings I felt as I was reading this book was a lot of anger because I thought if we're leaving this up to men, nothing's going to change. Most men. True. So so what can we do? I mean, part of me read your book as like, yes, 
let's go for it. And the other part was like, <laughs> this is hilarious. Right, right. I mean, so like, I, I think about this a lot, like, how do we actually make change here? And one of the examples that I look at in my own life that I got to witness was seatbelt laws. And I don't, I don't know how old you guys are, but I was 16 when the seatbelt laws were coming around and I was getting my driver's license. Maybe you guys remember this as well. And so I, I distinctly remember thinking, well, I'm never going to wear a seatbelt. Like I didn't grow up with seatbelts. They're unnecessary. Like that, they seem like overkill. It just seemed like very not cool. Like definitely not going to do that. And I was, I lived in a small town and it was spring break and the cool kids came down from the big city to hang out in our warm town for spring break. And they wanted to go like joyriding around town. We were all getting in the car and they wouldn't budge until we all put our seatbelts on. And Mm. I instantly had this click, you know, like, oh, I'm wrong. The cool kids say we're wearing seatbelts. We're wearing seatbelts. Okay. Like I'm, I'm instantly on board and I'm an impressionable teenager. Like this is, this is how peer pressure works. Right. And in a good way. And I know, and, and, and now, of course, if I go driving, no one ever would say, are you planning to wear your seatbelt? You know, however, have you considered wearing a seatbelt while you go driving today? Like, of course not. Like, it's just a given, but that wasn't always true. And, and the, and the little conversion that I had there at spring break, that happened for every single person that drives one individually on an individual basis, because they heard it from a source they trusted or a person they respected or what it, or saw it modeled. And that that's how that change happened. None of us wore seatbelts. It just wasn't done. And then it was. And of course, laws helped back that up. But could we see the same thing happen with condoms? Would it be like, or just beyond condoms with, with responsible ejaculation? Could it be right now, men ejaculate irresponsibly all the time. They don't think about it. Even the quote unquote good guys are doing this. It's just, they've never been taught this concept. Women haven't been taught this concept, so we're not expecting it of men. And could we teach both men and women, could we get them to wrestle with this and understand it so deeply that no one would ever have to ask, are you going to use a condom or are you going to ejaculate responsibly? You have a vasectomy or whatever form of responsible ejaculation you prefer. No one would ever have to ask that. It's just a given. It's assumed that this man is going to ejaculate responsibly. He's going to take care of his own body and bodily fluids. He's going to take responsibility for his body, his actions. And the woman, I hope she's taking responsibility for her body and her and her actions. I, I hope they both are. That's that's the ideal. Right now, that's not happening. Right now, women are expected to be responsible for their own bodies and for men's bodies, for their own actions and for men's actions. Um, in fact, almost anyone who wants to argue with me, um, it's often a man, and will typically say, well, why doesn't she just make him wear a condom? And of course, that's her being responsible f- for her body and for his body. Right. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not adding anything to to that. You know, he he he's not contributing anything in that scenario. I I wonder as you're talking about this, I wonder what do you think is the biggest obstacle to change to changing the way we think about this? Well, I mean, the this conversation is brand new to so many people. And sometimes it surprises me because again, I've been arguing with people or discussing it with people daily for four years. So to me, it feels like everyone must know this by now. We've all, you know, I've been talking to this with, you know, literally thousands and thousands of people. Surely they must know this. And yet every single day, there'll be a tweet 
or a retweet of my original thread, which has a lot of these ideas that'll be like, I just found this. I have never thought of this before. This totally shifted my perspective. It's still so new to so many people. In fact, I have to remind myself, like, just assume nobody knows this. That's a much safer assumption. And so, so much of it is just like, hey, these ideas need to get out there. They need to be talked about. I've been really trying to um, encourage people to have book clubs where they discuss this because reading it is great, but discussing it is even better. People need to sort of understand these ideas. It's not like hard to convince people of, at least I haven't found it to be. If they read these book, if they read this book, I mean, what's their argument against it? It's going to be men sh- should ejaculate irresponsibly. Like that's their argument. Like, no, you know, who, that's not, no one's going to argue that or like no one that I can take seriously anyway. So it's not hard to get on board with this, but these are new ideas for so many people. And I've found that when women read it, one of the common responses they get is just like a tear-filled, you know, email or, or a phone call or whatever it might be saying, I have been on an IUD for a year. I've been bleeding for a year. I hate it. We had three kids. I've tried every kind of birth control. It has never occurred to me that I could suggest a vasectomy to my husband. Also, why should it, why should I have to suggest it? Why wouldn't he suggest it? Why wouldn't he know to do this? Like, why have neither of us considered this? And that's true in, you know, replicate that by thousands and thousands, millions. I don't know how many couples. It's super common because we just haven't talked about it. So I think the biggest obstacle is really just getting this information out there. And I'd I'd love to say it's being done in our sex ed classes, but it's super not. There are 11 states that don't require any sex ed. And then the rest of the states, it's a real hit and miss on like what's being taught, what's required, what teachers are even allowed to answer. There's certain questions they can't even talk about. So it's not being done in sex ed. Of course, that would be amazing. And I, I, I'm advocating for that as well. There's a section in the back of the book where I say, you know, what's next? What do we do? You know, sex ed is in there, but also just talking about it. Like if you're a man and you've discovered, oh, actually, I'm fine with sex with condoms. I just had to learn m- what material I like, what my size was, how I like to lubricate. You know, I just had to practice basically. Am I talking about that with other men? Have I communicated that to other men? If I had a vasectomy and it was awesome and it improved my sex life and, and healing was easy and my insurance covered it and you know, all the benefits, have I ever communicated that to anyone or is this just private information? And obviously it is personal. I get it that we're not just talking about this you know, um, with our coworkers necessarily, but are you talking about it with friends that you know are, maybe they just had a baby and they're trying to figure out what their birth control options are. Have you, have you talked to them about it? We just need to be able to talk about this stuff. And I think women will talk about their experiences with the pill or the IUD or whatever they're trying. But I, from what the information I can gather, and this is more anecdotal than anything, men aren't talking about this because there's a lot of stigma around vasectomies. There's a lot of stigma around condoms. And a lot of men really feel like it's not manly to use these kinds of contraception, that this should be on women. I, I wonder, I wonder too, I, you're so right about all this. I wonder too, if it's culturally how we think about sex, right? I mean, we really center male pleasure in sexuality. And, you know, since the 70s, we've really made a big deal about ejaculation, about the money shot. Like a mm-hmm. sex act is not complete mm-hmm. until there's ejaculation. And even just this very like, you know, it's like this very manly thing to ejaculate, you know, out. And, it, you know, it's right. like very, yeah. So, I wonder if that's part of it too, is if we, that also our sex education is so centered around 
around ejaculation, around male's pleasure. Oh, I think you're exactly right. 100%. Um, I mean, you consider it the sex ed class you maybe had in fifth grade, that was, that was when mine was. In a sex ed class, they have to talk about basically a, a male orgasm or ejaculation, which isn't exactly the same thing, but we, we refer to it as if it is in our culture. But anyway, um, they have to refer to it because it is how babies are made. And that's really what they're talking about in sex ed classes. They're not talking about sex for pleasure. They're talking about how to impregnate someone. So of course, they have to talk about that. But the, the clitoris is maybe not even in the diagram, is probably certainly not mentioned aloud. It certainly wasn't for me. The idea of women's pleasure isn't even part of the conversation because, again, this is a class that's teaching about how impregnation happens, not sex for pleasure. And the only reason the clitoris exists, as far as we know, is for pleasure. It does not help in the impregnating part of of sex at all. It doesn't do anything. We know for a fact that women can become impregnated by men without having any pleasure at all. Like it's not even part of it. So I think it's a a huge, a huge factor. Uh, We we just don't talk about this. We focus on the man's role in this. We focus on the ejaculation, his pleasure. and, And you're exactly right that it's not even really considered sex if the man doesn't come. Yeah. If there's two of them and they have sex, the women came right away and it's like, okay, thanks so much. See ya. <laughs> like, he's like, wait, wait, what? Like, like it's, it's, and if someone said, did you have sex with her? He'd be like, uh, kind of not really, you know, like he wouldn't even consider it sex. But of course, if the opposite happens, that's sex. Yeah. Yes. You said something I thought was really provocative and very interesting which is that you think men who are against abortion have zero interest in actually stopping abortion. What did you mean by that? Oh, yeah, I stand by that. Um, <laughs> basically, um, when I, when I, the first time I, write, I wrote that, it was during the Kavanaugh hearings. And I don't know if you remember these. It was maddening. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of men grandstanding about abortion, talking about women's bodies, talking about uh, you know women's reproductive systems, and not mentioning men's role in this at all, not mentioning anything about that, and clearly not understanding the issue, not understanding how it affects actual real people. It was just this dog whistle. It was just this, I know if I say the word abortion, if I say pro-life, that I'm going to get the votes I want. Like that. That's it. I mean, it was just a show and it was driving me bonkers. And it was so clear to me that like, they don't care about this. They don't care if there's more abortions or less abortions. They don't know how many abortions there are. They literally do not care. They just are talking about this because it's the hot talking point that gets them the votes. And we've seen this. Like, we, we know this is true. We've seen it with Herschel Walker, just barely, mm-hmm. where he is, a, here's, here he is this candidate. He says, I'm against all abortion, no exceptions, against abortion. And all, you know, that's what his constituents want to hear or, or his potential constituents. He's still just running. But anyway, and then an actual receipt of an abortion he paid for comes to light and no one that's supporting him cares. They're like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They don't actually care about abortion. Now, some some of their supporters may actually care, but the the men that are talking about this, I don't believe they do. I just don't believe they do. And this is why men could easily stop abortion. They could easily eliminate 99% of all abortions without touching an abortion law, without even mentioning women, simply by ejaculating responsibly. They choose not to do this. In fact, it's never occurred to them that this this is something they could do. And if they actually cared, if they were like, I really, really want abortions to go away, it would have occurred to them. It would have occurred to them that they have, they absolutely could choose to 
have 99% of abortions disappear instantly. This is why I feel like it's really, it, we, we got to raise girls and boys differently. That's our only hope because mm-hmm. I feel like men who are adult age now have, I mean, I, I agree with your, with your seatbelt analogy, but at the same time, I just have so little faith in, you know, most men to do the right thing. It, it, anyway, back to my question, it feels like it's something that has to do with raising boys and girls differently in ways that go beyond just better self sex education, which is certainly important. Probably, although I am hopeful. And again, I think my hope is based on these four years of discussions about this um, and, and very public discussions. There were a lot of men that really, that will come to my Twitter thread and get in two tweets, and which is the, I think it's the second tweet where I say men cause all unwanted pregnancies and they just can't make it past that. And it's like, nope, I can't handle it. And they just start arguing right then. Whereas if, if they'd actually read it, they'd be like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Okay. I got it. But anyway, so I, I did push that argument back in the book to like number 13, just so we could get him more hooked. But anyway, but those that did read it, the response was very positive. And this is across the political spectrum. Those that actually read it would respond to me, oh, and, you know, and they would come, you could see they were processing sexual experiences they'd had in their past, wondering, had they ejaculated responsibly every time? Had they ever pressured someone not to use a condom? Had they hinted they didn't like condom? You know, that kind of thing. You could see they were doing that, coming to terms with what they had been taught, cultural expectations, all that kind of thing. But it was so clear they were going to go into their next sexual experience and ejaculate responsibly. It was so clear they got it. Like once they, once that really clicks for them that like, oh, I am choosing slightly more pleasure to have sex that feels maybe slightly better without a condom. You know, so I, I am choosing to have sex without a condom in order to have slightly better sex. And that puts this, my partner at a huge risk. I'm risking her, you know, her social status, her job, her relationships, her life, pregnancy and childbirth can kill and do kill. And once they, once that clicks for them, I've, I feel like, what we're seeing is a big increase in vasectomies. Like we're seeing a big increase in like, oh, I've got to take on more responsibility here. Yes, society has taught us women are just going to take care of this and women have, but that's wrong. I need to do my part. And it's getting harder and harder for women to take care of this as they're making it harder and harder to get an abortion. And now they're going after birth control. It's like the next thing they're fighting for. So I have seen men stepping up, not in the numbers that we need, but we haven't really tried a campaign like this where we're like really, really drawing attention to these ideas. So we haven't done a big campaign like this. And even still, I've seen really positive reactions from men. So I do remain hopeful. I get it that not everyone would, but I, I, I do. So that's good. Let's take a quick break from some ads. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. You, you, you've had such a like massive reaction to this book. I mean, it was, it was published in a way that, you know, your, your publishers clearly knew they had something amazing, but there's, there's just been this massive, I mean, what does that feel like? Oh, I mean, it's, it's funny because I live in France and I am somewhat removed from it. A lot of what happens happens while I'm asleep. And so then I wake up to it and it's like everyone sort of processed it already and I get to hear the reactions and not in real time, but like after the conversations have happened. So it's actually been um, maybe less overwhelming for me than it would be. Hmm. And then the other thing is um, I really, I, I, I don't know how to, um, it's just such an unusual experience that I would have already been debating these ideas for four years before the book comes out and truly have had every possible argument thrown at me thousands of times. And I, I understood where the weaknesses were. In fact, I, I felt like I could address so much with a book yeah. that mm -hmm. I couldn't in the, in the thread because I, I, you can't, you know, edit tweets and anyway. So 
I feel like I am, someone could be very, very stressed out by the response, but I, I don't know if anyone has ever been more prepared than I have for, <laughs> for, right. um, for a book coming out with these kinds of things. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I do get a lot of crazy emails, just absolutely, you know, horrific, you know, threats and whatever, just horrible stuff. And four years ago, they stressed me out. And now I like understand how to deal with them. Like it really is, there are some skills here that I feel like I've picked up. So in that way, I, I'm doing pretty well. I want to hear about those skills. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about them. So um, one of the things I had to really come to is that what it meant to me that, that there's an anonymous person yelling at me. And I it just finally like really hit me that this person who is a real person, you know, behind a laptop, but I don't know who they are, right? I just know they, they could be a neighbor. They could be a across the world. I truly have no idea who they are. And if they disappeared tomorrow, I'm not trying to wish something bad on them. I'm just saying some, some weird reason they had disappeared tomorrow. I literally would not know. It would, I would not care. I would not know because I, I couldn't care because I wouldn't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it just, they can't exist to me in a real way because they are this random anonymous person online. Right. And once I sort of like my brain wrapped itself around that idea, it was like, Oh, I absolutely do not care what they say. Like, I just do mm. not care. They are not, they are choosing not to be a real person and they are not a real person to me. Like they're, they're, I, they can't be. Again, if I, if I can't even know that they've disappeared from the earth, then how are they a real person to me? You know, they, they just don't exist. And so I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, no, but anyway, that like, really no, like, it makes sense. It's like dealing with a hologram. Like why, how, yes. why would, why would you, why would you let a hologram hurt you? Right. So then all of a sudden I just like do not care. And so I don't hesitate. And then I, and there's a few other things I do. Um, I certainly don't hesitate to block. I maybe mute even more than I block. I find it really satisfying because they keep yelling, but I don't hear them. I don't know. (laughs) And so, so then they're just mad that someone's not, you know, paying attention to them. Um, so that can be really satisfying. And then I also set up my notifications on Twitter in a way. I mean, I don't get any notifications like you know, to my phone where I'm getting alerts, but even just in my, um, within the app, you have your, your, you know, here's who's retweeted you or here's who's liked you or here's who's commented. Even in those, that list of notifications, um, you have controls. So I can say, don't show me any responses from a new account. Don't show me any responses if they don't have an actual avatar. Don't show me responses if, you know, like if, if you, you just have some control there. And so even when I'm being spewed with negativity, which like I for sure am right now, like right this minute and this whole, this whole last week since the launch has been really intense. I only see a tiny bit of it. A lot of it just doesn't get shown to me. It's out there. It's on Twitter, but I'm not seeing it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yes. so I do some of that as well. Um, I delete, I do that. And then the other thing I did is I learned to use it as a tool, meaning sometimes I want to yell at the world, like, crap is going on and you just feel out of control and you feel like I can't do anything. And then I found it was sort of cathartic for me or like um, a release for me to get on Twitter and yell at people. And so I know if I get on Twitter, every time I log on, I know there will be someone arguing with me about Mm. this thread or or other threads. I've written lots of threads that make people mad, but this one in particular has made people the most mad. And so I'll get on and I can just start arguing with them. And I know the arguments. I'm a strong debater on this topic because I know it so well. I've practiced so many years and it ends up being this like uh, 
so much healthier for me to argue with a stranger that, again, doesn't know I like is never going to think about me again. And I'm never going to think about them again because they don't really exist to me um, than to get on Facebook and argue with my uncle, which is what I used to do. And Mm. it was horrible and it was damaging to relationships and it was stressful to everyone observing. And then I get on Twitter and I can do it and no one's watching. They don't care. It's just, you know, it's just sort of this, I don't know. It it became something I used again as for my benefit. And then that switches my brain around it too. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm grateful for this. I have this place I can go and, argue with someone and get out some of this um, energy that I need to get out without damaging an actual relationship in my life. Can I ask what, has there been a reaction to this book or to your work in general that surprised you? Have you ever, have you been surprised by any reactions? Yeah, well, I I can tell you. um, So as I I have a publicity team, you know, with the publisher that they're trying to get the book out there, of course. And they had talked to me and said, hey, we're looking at TV. We know we're not going to get any daytime. That's just like out of the question with this title. But maybe we can get some, you know, one of the late shows or something like that. And I was like, hey, you know, of course, I'm delighted with anything. It's all very new and exciting to me. Then what happened, launch week, and my publicity team didn't know about this, that this was going to happen. They, they, you know, sometimes they have a magazine or someone that has said, hey, we're going to do a review or, a, you know, and they let them know. But this was something they weren't aware of. Um, on the launch morning, CBS Mornings, the new show, they did a, a big segment on my book. And Tony DeCoupel was the broadcaster. Um, and he, he just starts with, I've got a new book for you. It's called... And he pauses for a minute. You can see he's like, should I say it or not? And he says, ejaculate responsibly. And it, of course, it gets a re- reaction. But then he just goes from there. And it was like, oh, this is daytime television. It's a man talking about this. And he got it. He like understood it. You could tell he'd read it. He'd like, I mean, the present- his presentation on it was so good. And that totally shocked me. That was not what I was expecting. And again, my publicity team was sure we wouldn't get any daytime. And here, first thing in the morning on launch day, this is what it led with. And then from there, then The View took took it and they, you know, I was on MSNBC later and then The View took it. So that was two daytime mentions where they just talked about it really openly and didn't get stressed out by the title and didn't get stressed out by the word ejaculate. And I really was surprised by that. Like, that's that was what I hoped for because I know people can get comfortable with it really fast, but TV seems like a weird world, and I just wasn't sure. And then, of course, we haven't heard at all from anyone in late night, so who, so it was the exact opposite of what they were expecting. That's probably not what you meant by surprise, but that has been a surprise no. to me in this past week. <laughs> no, that's been a surprise. No, I'm just curious because aside from hoping that they're inspired to ejaculate responsibly, are, are there are there other lessons you're hoping men will get from this book? Um, yeah, I mean, like. I, I don't think men understand the burden that women carry with birth control. And I go into this as deeply as I can in the book. You know, from the moment a, a, a woman is sexually active, and that might be as a teenager before she even is an adult woman, until menopause, this is this burden that we carry. Every time we have sex, we have to think about, am I going to be pregnant? Yeah. Every time. It has to flutter through our mind. Am I going to be pregnant? Did I just get impregnated? What will I do if I'm pregnant? Do I want to have a baby? Where would I get an abortion? Does my state allow an abortion? You know, like, and I'm not saying we sit and, and dwell on that for, for minutes or hours at a time, but it goes through your head. You It has to. Like sex to women, we know it can lead to pregnancy, right? Like it's very, we get it. We understand it. So we carry this burden of birth control and birth control for women 
I am like, I couldn't be more grateful for it. It seems like I wouldn't know anything about it because I have six kids. So it seems like I would like be very mm-hmm. unfamiliar with birth control, but I have actually, I got to choose when I had my kids. I actually have always, you know, used birth control and, and, and stopped using it when I wanted to have a baby. So I'm very grateful for it, but I have used, I think all, but maybe the patch and I hate it. Like I, yeah. as grateful mm-hmm. as I am for it, I hate birth control. I hated how it made me feel. I hated that I was absorbing hormones, even on days where I wasn't having sex, even if like we're out of town and it doesn't even, you know, like one of us, cause I've been married my, basically my whole adult life. And even if my spouse is out of town, um, I'm still absorbing these hormones. Yes. I hated the maintenance of it. I have had all these little kids through a lot of these birth control years. And so to the idea that I have to go to the doctor to get something that I've already been taking for years and have to go get a physical exam once a year. And it's an invasive exam. It's not fun that I have to like either get childcare or get off work, depending on my life situation at the time that I have to go stand in line for a prescription or set up an online delivery or whatever. It's just this maintenance and it's so much time. And did I already take it today? Did I not take it today? Or when is, when's my three month mark on the shot or, you know, all, just, yes. You have to think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, just a big pain. And then of course there's the, there's the cost of it. There's, there's a, you know, there's money that you're paying as well. And so there's this burden that's just never ending. And I don't think men get it. Like one of the big responses I've gotten from men on this is like, oh, I've never paid a dime for my girlfriend's birth control. It mm-hmm. has never occurred to me to pay for her transportation to the appointment for her doctor's appointment for, or at least pay half, right. For this thing that I am benefiting from at least half, right. Like he's benefiting from so much, like she's fertile 24 hours a month, but she's taking birth control every day, which means she's dealing with his fertility every single day, even though Mm -hmm. she's only fertile for 24 hours a month. Like that's what's happening. She is dealing with his fertility. She is taking medicine because he's fertile, not because she's fertile, because he's fertile. That is what's happening. We don't talk about it like that. We've never, no one ever constructed that for me. And I, no one's constructing that for any woman, you know, until this book. And I don't think men get it. They've never occurred to it. In fact, some of the conversations I was having with men were, oh, I thought the pill was like an Advil. Like you have a headache, you take an Advil. (laughs) And so like, you're going to have sex, you take a pill. Like, no, 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 no. You have to take the pill every day, whether you're having sex or not. At the every same day. time, you have to take it every At day. At the same <laughs> time. And once you get the prescription, it's still up to a week before it's even going to work. It's not instant. It's it's like, I can't describe enough how it's like the opposite of condoms, which are affordable, accessible, you know, no doctor's appointment, easy to troubleshoot if you need a different kind, you know, like available 24 hours a day. They're cheap. You can store them for months, years. In fact, they, they no, store for no, years. no mood changes, like no mood changes, know. no side effects. It's just like, like we, we, we couldn't have them be more opposite. And yet men are so resistant well, as a culture, men are so resistant to condoms. In re- actual reality, I found men are less resistant to condoms. Again, it's a, a practice. It's a it's a knowledge thing. But as a culture, we've just decided, well, it's just too hard for men to use condoms. We cannot expect them to use condoms, which is the dumbest thing in the world. And and even though, or, or someone will say, well, condoms aren't as effective. And I'm like, yeah, they actually are. They're, they're 98% effective when used correctly. And it's not too much to ask to have men use them correctly. They're, they're, they're in practice, not as effective right now because men haven't been taught to use them correctly, but women have to learn to use our birth control 
it's not a lot to say, men, why don't you learn to use birth, your birth control? Anyway, so I feel like I can talk to you about this for hours and hours. And I no, feel like I'm just- it's, they're <laughs> no, it's, it's like, it's just, we've conditioned them to be so like, it's like a learned helplessness. It's so yes. sad and pathetic. Like learn yes. how to fucking use a condom. Yes. It, it, it is. But you know what bums me out? And I go back to the um, seatbelt argument is that okay. like, didn't AIDS, like, why didn't AIDS make condoms just everywhere all the time? Right. It did, right. For, it did for a while. But then, but like, we got to that point where it was like, okay, now everybody must adapt to using the condom if they want to live. Right. No, but like, also, I, I was a, in college, I was a, whatever, I was part of like the orientation team. And they had a part of the orientation for new students was you taught them how to use a condom. And I, I was the one, the men would not put the condom on the banana. And I was the one who would be like, here's the banana and here's how you use it here. You roll it down like this and you make sure there's extra at the tip and whatever. And if I really think about it now, I'm like, why the fuck was I doing that? I don't have a penis. Right. You you can't tell them, you can't give them advice on like, like a man could say, Hey, I like to put a little lubrication in the condom and on the outside that works better for me. Or, Hey, I have an, I have an allergy to latex. So you should be aware that you or your partner may have an allergy. Here's some other kinds. Like a man should be talking about that. And he can, like, if a man stood there and said, Hey, it took me a minute to get the hang of it. But once I did, condoms with sex, condoms without sex, it's like the same for me. It's not, it's not stressful at all. It doesn't feel worse for me. If a man was telling them that, like their peer, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the difference? I can't. Instead of, no, <laughs> instead it's like we've decided it's totally emasculating to even model how to use a condom. So, so a woman has to do it. Right. It's going to come better from a, it's going to come better from a cute girl. Like they might, yeah, they right. might take the message more if it comes from it. Like it's so obscene and I don't think it's changed yeah. that much. That's like 30 years no. ago. I don't think it's changed that much. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Okay. So I want to switch gears just a little bit because I just find you to be such an impressive person. Okay. And I just, <laughs> and I, I just do. And I, I feel like you're a person who does a million things. And I want to talk about your relationship with ambition. Do you think you're mm. more ambitious now than you were when you were younger? How do, how do you target your ambition? Where are you now with that? Um, I think less ambitious now than younger because I'm just tired. You just get tired, mm -hmm. you know, like for example, I have this conference, Alt Summit, and it is awesome. It is so good. And I, it's on my mind because I just, after this, you know, pandemic break, we just had it again in New York um, a couple of weeks ago. So it's, it's definitely on my mind and it's amazing. And I know, and I've known this for years that I could really build it into uh, like a big deal, you know, go get investment, there's a ton of employees. We're doing conferences, not just once a year, but like all over the place, all the time. There's events happening. There's like maybe a, like a, a community outside of the events that's like, maybe we're almost like a union where we're like um, providing legal advice and we're providing, you know, health insurance buying options or things like that for, for people who are starting businesses. You know, when I say people, I'm actually meaning women, you know, like anyway, I, I know that. Like, I know that. I know it's a, there's a need and I know it could be done. And I'm just too tired. Yeah. I'm too tired. I'm like, mm. I will advise if a CEO wants to come on and take what I've built and turn it into a something, but I can't do it. And part of that is because like, what I really want to do is argue with people on Twitter and write essays and, you know, and write books about abortion and gun control and all sorts of topics that I care about. And yeah, I mean, so so my ambitions have definitely changed over the years, um, and just my, with my energy levels. But I still remain ambitious. 
before we go, Gabrielle, we just want to know, what do you still want to do? Ooh, let's see. Well, I am working on some, you know, I mentioned we live in France and I'm working on some renovations and they are on my mind. I've got a little cottage and this, I mean, this house from the 1400s. It's just Mm -hmm. crazy, these dates. And that's on my mind. I want to accomplish some of that. Uh, This is a random one. When I was in college studying graphic design, my vision for myself was to be a textile designer. I was like, oh, I loved this idea of like walking into someone's house and seeing like sheets that I designed on their bed or, you know, so like I was like so into that idea. I loved it. And I have designed a million things, but never textiles. And so I'm like, why don't I, maybe that's my next thing. Why don't I tackle that, that original vision for myself and become a textile designer? So maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I mean, we all would look forward to it. Thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate you coming on with us. This has been such an honor. Jennifer, Kim, you're, this is, you're delightful to talk to. And obviously I could have talked for hours more. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms, especially Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. It helps people find our show. If you want to support the production of the show, you can join our Patreon and give us a couple dollars every month. It's patreon.com backslash everything is fine. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We have a private and robust Facebook group. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. You can email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. You can find me on tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. And the show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. Thank you again, Natalie. We'll be back next week. 